0: Welcome to the EverSaleen podcast, the show that ignites your passion for leadership and empowers you to develop a culture of continuous improvement. I'm your host, Matt Sims, and in each episode, we bring you fascinating insights and invaluable tips from our incredible lineup of guests. What do they all have in common? They share an unwavering dedication to excellence and are the experts in driving engagement, improving metrics and reducing costs.
1: The Ever So Lean Podcast with Matt Sims. You know it makes sense.
0: This episode is sponsored by Catalyst Consulting Limited. Catalyst Consulting exists to help people and organisations work better today and be ready for tomorrow. They have a rich history of igniting business transformation using business agility, lean, Six Sigma, strategy deployment, agile and change management. They can help you and your organisation to develop the skills necessary to work and manage differently. To find out more, check out catalystconsulting.co.uk. Culture, it's critical for organisations because it shapes employee behaviour, engagement Engagement and motivation. It influences customer experiences, attracts and retains top talent, and it fosters innovation and facilitates organizational adaptability. By intentionally shaping a culture, organizations can create a strong foundation for long term success and sustained growth. But this can be challenging, especially if you are unfamiliar in this space. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could glean some experience from someone that's been there and done it many times? Well, today, that is exactly what I have to offer you. So get ready to meet Karen Leffley, a change and transformation professional with more than 30 years of experience in driving and delivering change. With a rich background in change methodologies and tools, Karen's expertise are grounded in renowned industry practices such as Lean, Six Sigma, Project and Change Management. Now, during her illustrious career, Karen has spent an impressive 29 years at BT, not on hold, actually working there, honing her skills and making a lasting impact on the organisation. She played a pivotal role in leading large-scale change and project teams, delivering sustainable transformations and capturing the hearts and minds of those that she worked with. Currently, as the director and founder of Boomster Consulting, Karen continues to make waves in the industry. She brings a wealth of experience and proven methodologies to empower organisations to embrace change and achieve remarkable results. Additionally, and somehow amazingly, Karen finds the time to serve as the president of the BQF, the British Quality Foundation, a testament to her commitment to excellence and her contributions to the field of business transformation. With a strong reputation of building deep, trusted relationships quickly, Karen has an innate ability to engage individuals at all levels from collaborating with senior executive C-level leaders to enterprise-wide programs to empowering frontline teams she ensures that everyone feels valued and inspired to contribute towards the transformation journey now today karen will share some of her transformative wisdom with us leaving you feeling empowered confident and energized to deliver sustained transformation in your organization karen welcome to the evercelene podcast
1: Hi, Matt, and thank you for having me today.
0: I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs)
1: That's right. You're very, very welcome. It's great, to, uh, it's great to come along and be part of this series of, of episodes.
0: Thank you. And, and Karen and I have spoken a, a few times over you know, the last few months, and I feel like we're kindred spirits. We share so many experiences. <laughs> it's brilliant.
1: Yes, we do. And I, I think it's, it's brilliant when you find somebody like that, that that's actually got a very similar background to yourself and a, di- and a different, a same but different journey to where we have both kind of ended up today. So, uh, so it's great to share and, and network in, in that way.
0: It's interesting, as human beings, we all kind of seek that relatability, don't we? We kind of feel comfortable when we meet somebody we share experiences with.
1: Yeah, we do. And I think um, I think you need a, a, a range of people in your life, don't you? And I, I talk a lot about this when, uh, when I work with teams and organisations, is that the more that you can surround yourself with, both like-minded people but also people that challenge your thinking mm. uh, because you need that sometimes don't you to push the boundaries if you were only ever with people who you connect with and that you really share the same interests or the same backgrounds with you never kind of really learn about the art of the possible of things that perhaps you're, you're not doing or that you know are beyond what you think you can do but actually are within within reach of many of us
0: Yeah, I'm one of those people where, and I love that, it happens to be so often, I'll surround myself with people and they'll make me think differently about something yeah and I'm like wow that's really good why didn't I think of that then I have that that, that after moment where I'm like why didn't I think of that why didn't that occur to me <laughs> <laughs> I beat myself up
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm also someone and um, again it's, it's probably a bit of imposter syndrome coming out but I'm also someone that can't believe sometimes that somebody else can gain something from you know my insight and uh, what I've got to offer yeah. um, it comes as a shock to me sometimes when people will say you know like I really value that time that we spent together or you know I'd really value your input and your expertise in this and you sometimes underestimate what you you know personally bring to the party and I, I don't think I'm probably alone in that.
0: I think you're right but people just don't talk about it that's the thing no no one lets it out but it's in everyone's minds I yeah, think. Yeah true. Tell us about your career journey and your achievements and how you've got to the prestige place that you are now.
1: Oh I don't know if you'd call it prestige but uh, <laughs> But uh, from humble beginnings, really, I mean, I left school. I mean, this is where we, we share a little bit in common in that I, I didn't do particularly well at school because, uh, how can I put it? I enjoyed things where my passion lie, which was things like PE and art <laughs> and drama, uh, which uh, is no surprise to anybody. So the topics, you know, where I really enjoyed learning, um, I did really well at. And then the topics which I struggled more because I just didn't find them as, as interesting like maths and English and science I struggled with, and uh, a little bit of a trouble with applying, uh, applying myself. So I came away from school with um, only a couple of GCSEs didn't want to go to college, uh, had had enough of education. I wanted to get out there and, and do a job and I had brilliant parents. And basically their advice was, well, go, go, you know, fill your boots. If you can find yourself a job that you want to do, then we'll support you. But if you haven't got a job by the time the term starts in September, you're going to college. <laughs> so uh, there was no challenge like it. I had a job within a week. And so I started life actually as a travel agent and um, spent sort of two or three years customer facing, which was brilliant. Um, you know, you don't realize it at the time, do you? But the customer experience that I gained first firsthand dealing with uh, people from all walks of life was, was, was brilliant. I then had a complete change and my dad was actually a, a BT engineer and he came home from work one day and said, there's some jobs going at BT. And I thought, well, no, I thought I want to work for BT doing what? Um, and he said, uh, I don't know. They're just, um, they're, they've been advertised as clerical positions. Why don't you go along and just see what's on offer? Anyway, I went along, uh, had an interview and got offered a role in, uh, in a contact center. And to be honest with you, I kind of thought, well, what, what do I value really about, about this new role? And it was double the money and no weekend shift. Oh, wow. So boom, shakala off, off yeah. I went, you know, it was, uh, and, I, and I never look back. And I'm just so grateful that I went and took the opportunity that came up because from that day on in, I ended up having oh the, the most amazing career and every opportunity I took every opportunity every single opportunity I went back to college and and did a diploma in 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 management studies years later uh just to find out what you know what's this gap of of education that I was missing but it was great because it was practical application I was in a in a management position by this time and and actually uh really enjoyed the learning because I could apply it so that that's teaches me something about my own learning style but really, my BT career took three kind of, uh, there was three significant kind of chunks or phases in my BT career. It was Karen Leffley in operations, which I spent the first 10 years of my career um, in retail operations and absolutely loved it because it taught me so much about customers and about what they value and, and why they're so important to any business. And I got involved uh, whilst I was there in, in a transformation program. I and mean, that was the first time I'd come across change and met the lovely Six Sigma kind of toolkit that we, that we both know and love. And I uh, took that learning because, again, applicable to what I was doing, it was great learning. It, you know, it helped me and enabled me with the outcomes I was making. And then I moved into a full-time transformation change role. I never went back to operations. So I started out on the transition as being the customer representative almost, but ended up taking on a full-time uh, role in transformation. And I spent the next really sort of five or six years doing projects of change, learning project management, change management. Um, and all those tools and techniques that took me around the world because I ended up working in the global part of BT's organization. So I had a, a fabulous opportunity to do that. And there I really kind of experienced a lot, a lot of different methodologies in um what worked, you know, in different parts of the business, what worked in different parts of the world. And then really the the, the final part of my chapter and career in BT was change leadership. And I was very fortunate that I was in a part of the business where uh, one of the big uh, consultancies come in and do a piece of strategy work. And one of their recommendations was uh, to run a program um, around Lean. And I was asked if I would architect this program for our business. It was 19,000 people. And it was really the start of my whole Being around continuous improvement on a scale um, of that size, shape and and form. And so I was fortunate enough over the next two and a half, three years to be a core part of a continuous improvement program where we touched, I think, around 10,000 people almost in those two and a half, three years. It was just the hardest I'd worked. The most I'd ever learned, but the most enjoyable, probably part of my um, of my career. So, uh, so that that really is how it developed. I, I then ended up um, because the, the program was such a success in one part of BT, it ended up becoming an enterprise wide BT continuous improvement program. So I had the opportunity to go and get the BT exec to um, endorse it. The relationship with the, with the BQF came as part of that because I was looking for something that would almost give the credentials inside of BT for the work that we were doing and the the real passionate people who were learning new skills and developing their own capability. Um, I wanted something that would put a seal of kind of like approval on it to say, this is of a standard. And BT, I don't know if you know Matt, a a founding member of BQF, but the relationship at this point in time wasn't really being owned and managed by anybody inside of BT with any sort of depth. So I took on through that period, I took on the relationship with the BQF, I built a certification program that any individual could partake in. And it went from strength to strength. And the relationship with BQF strengthened at the same time, we started to enter what is now the UK Excellence Awards and became, you know, a a really a a part of their BQF community, which is continuing, you know, through through to today.
0: It's so inspiring to hear your self-development as well as where your career is taking like you. You've understood about your learning style. You've, you've realised how yeah. you apply knowledge. You seem to be a very practical person. Yeah. You, you you apply it through practicality.
1: Yes, yes. And I think that learning style, it's so anybody that knows me well and has been on the journey with me and there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of people that will know and love a lot of the training programs that I was uh, leading in VT around continuous improvement. And we took that learning from People Learn Differently into those programs. And they're in, you know, Boomster Consulting today is absolutely founded in training programs that actually touch the four learning styles, the four predominant learning styles that everybody has. And it's really, really important because if not, you can actually switch people off very quickly if your learning is all theory or if your learning is all practical application, or if your learning is all about learning through others, through case studies and seeing it happen, you know, you have to try and ad- adapt to every training programme to enable people to learn to their style.
0: Isn't it funny that as adults, we've realised that there's different learning styles and, and we, we create learning programmes for those different styles so people can succeed, even if they're not academic, if they're yes. practical and vice versa. But why at school, I don't expect you to know the answer to this, but why at school are we still so obsessed with a classroom, looking at a screen, exam at the end of it? I know there is some coursework involved in it, in a lot of the stuff, but it's still so academic based. Yeah. We just haven't yeah. we haven't adapted, have we? It's so frustrating. No.
1: And and I look back at school, it's um it's so funny. We all laugh about it today, but I was absolutely awful at French. <laughs> One week our, our French teacher uh was poorly and we had a stand in teacher and they came in and taught a song and I could still sing it today. I'm not gonna do it on here.
0: <laughs> you set yourself up now.
1: It's so funny that um, and I'll still sing it today, and it's the only thing I can remember out of French is the song. Yeah, we all know it. You think you know, like you put on. I mean, I'm I'm a kid of the '80s, so you know, I play '80s music and remember every word of it. You know, yeah. and haven't heard the song for years, and you still can remember every word of it. Why can you remember stuff like that? Yet yeah, you you talk to me about some of the the things I learned at school and I really struggle, I really struggle yeah. to learn it because it was just theory based.
0: It probably becomes as no surprise to you or any of the listeners that the only words I remember from French and German are the rude ones. Yeah, And I remember them very well, but I don't yeah. remember any others, but it's right. <laughs> and it, do you know why we remember the rude words and, and the funny songs It's because they're fun and we engaged yes. with them. Yes. That's why yes. we remember it.
1: it. It's like anything, isn't it? And I always talk about this when, you know, when you're trying to help uh, people and teams think about creating, you know, we talked talking about culture the other day, but how to create a culture where people want to work there and they want to, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is make our um, business successful. And to have a successful business, we need to have, add value to our customers and have a great customer base and have them, you know, repeat business with us and spend uh, money so that we, you know, that, that we are uh, successful and we can afford to exist one of the things that you find is if that you've got this triangle really of people who are doing something that they're passionate about that's when that you will get real high performance because you know you need people to really love what they do and if they love what they do they have fun with it and you know you get that really great feeling of great performance
0: it's so true and i look back at the roles i've had and i look back at the teams i've managed and there's a real clear pattern there of where people aren't aren't having fun and they aren't enjoying it, they don't deliver like the people yes. that have fun and enjoy yes. it do. Because you yes. naturally own it, don't you? When you when you're yes. enjoying it.
1: And I think that's one of the things that happens when things change. And one of the things that we see is that you become unaligned with where the organisation is going, or people become unaligned with their job because things change. And it and it's about creating. You know, that alignment back um, and recreate. And I call it the X factor. It's yeah. where you have alignment between what you personally value and what the organisation is striving to achieve, and what it values. Mm. Until you get that alignment, you can't create a culture where people, you know, want to be there and perform at their best.
0: Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's, like, it's not until you get into more of an older mindset that you realise your own self-value and what's important yeah. to you. It's such a shame that the most precious years of your life you don't have knowledge you don't have confidence you don't have experience yeah. yet we're asking people to to learn forge a career build relationships in that time it's just mad isn't it
1: yeah yeah it is yeah and i, I you know i think you, you've hit you've hit something there as well around um having the confidence to to be your best and actually um i think a lot of the time you're trying to conform um and i think certainly through my own journey i look back and i think It was at the point where I was bold enough and confident enough to actually be myself and to let the guard down and talk about the things that I wasn't brilliant at and actually play in a role where I could excel. And it was okay to actually bring my own personality and my own way of doing something to it, that actually it created probably the best performance and made me feel. the best about who I was and what I was doing and have the confidence to do that. And I look back and I think, oh, if I'd have only had the confidence to do that 20 years ago, would I have made you know, oh, so much more progress, you know, who knows?
0: Power of hindsight.
1: Yeah, the power of hindsight is wonderful, isn't it? But I'm sure that there's lots of people who suffer with the same thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I've said it before, but I look back now at some of the people that I've worked for when I was, you know, a young lad and I was just trying to find my way. And with my leadership hat on now, I look at the way they behaved and the way they led. and I think it's absolutely appalling. And those people were like gods to me at the time because yeah. they were the top managers and, you know, you, yeah. you, you got scared if you walked past them. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. And I look yeah. now and I just think, wow, like they were so far off the mark. But that behaviour is what I observed and it's what I thought senior leadership looked like. Yeah. And it influenced yeah. me and yeah. without even knowing it.
1: Yeah. It's so much about role modelling, you know, and I think that's like you asked me a couple of days ago when we when we talked about about how to create, you know, how do you create a culture? Um, how do you change a culture? And it is, you know, there's multiple dimensions to it. But one of the huge, huge things is the shadow that people cast. Um and and actually if you are a leader in a business and you want to do something different, you know, you've got to really want to do it. And we talk about this with with lean service. Lean when we first introduced lean service in BT, it was a huge culture change. If you think about a lot of it had been command and control, people, um, we, we weren't engaging people and involving people in, you know, making things better every day. And, you know, I think there was this fear that, you know, as a manager or a leader, you were gonna lose that um control over your own kind of department and by the way you've been successful because of history so you are in the role that you're in because you've you know you've done great things in the past and all of a sudden uh we are looking at a program where we're going to challenge that kind of way of working and you know we liken it to a like a five-year-old playing football that if you watch a five-year-old football match a lot of the time they all chase the same ball and i think that was what was happening that we'd pick one or two things that, that needed improvement and everybody would be chasing those two or three same projects. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could actually start to get people playing in position? It'd be oh, so much more powerful. If you can get people in the at the front line of our business able to identify because they're the ones that knows what's going on and what's going wrong in the place if we can get them to feel confident enough to raise the things that that could be you know better and could be improved and we make them visible then we actually enable them with skills and capability and the management are responsible to create the environment where that they have the time and the capacity and the skills And they support them to try and fix the things that are within their control to fix. And then when they, you know, when they find things that aren't in their control to fix, because believe me, you'll always dig up something that's the fault of the supply chain. It's either left or right is going wrong. But actually, don't walk on by and leave that to go really wrong for a customer, even if you're not able to fix it. Get it made visible. Let's get it so that people know that there's an issue there. And that's what your kind of your middle management should be Focusing their time and expertise on is fixing that value stream, getting people playing in a, in a way and getting people working in a way that creates and pulls that, you know, experience through the value stream. And that then enables our senior leaders to work on those one, two, three big, big ticket strategic items and put their expertise to play where, where it's absolutely needed. It sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounds really easy that that's what continuous improvement culture. That's what we're going to try and create. But actually, that's a really tough gig to do because a lot of people have to hold their nerve and a lot of people have to think about what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? What am I going to physically be seen to be doing? to support this infrastructure and this new way of working? And how am I going to reinforce it? What are all the embedded things in the business that need to change the policies, the process, the systems, the symbols, all of the things, the metrics and the targets that all go with it? So what are all the things that need to underpin this so that people feel that the whole system is set up to support them to work in in the way that the business is, is wanting them to do.
0: And that holding of the nerve is so critical because oh. you're exactly right. So often there'll be knee-jerk reactions yeah. and people will be like, oh, we start going down the yeah. road, but no, no, we we're we got to move. And that knee-jerk reaction, that that nerve, that holding that nerve is so important. Yeah. It will happen. Culture starts at the top. I, I had a manager once who I was walking around the shop floor of a site And um, I was very much of the uh, Gordon Ramsay School of Leadership, so I would go in somewhere absolutely tearing into someone just stop what you're doing stop tear them apart and then build them back up afterwards and this happened one day in front of my manager and, and as we walked away he said to me Matt he goes um think about the shadow that you cast because that that associate now is going to go home saying this guy who I've never seen before come up to me today he's a senior leader he told me I was rubbish he laid into me and then he walked off and left me like how's that person going to be left feeling And I'll tell you a funny story. I went out to uh, Seattle to visit a site once and I'd spent four night shifts trying to embed a new process where they were managing the flow and and controlling the input versus the output. And they were really line balancing, right? To try and stop the workload from becoming a mess. And um, it was the third night of four and I'd been banging my head against a brick wall. I was getting so frustrated and I was standing there watching this guy and he was messing around with the the item in his hand and he was taking ages and I was getting really frustrated. So I went up to him and I went, excuse me, what are you doing? This is how you were supposed to do it. And I really went into this massive description and he goes, uh, 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 and I went, no, let me finish. And I carried on right? and I got to the end of it and I went, right, so what? W- what's the question you've got then? And he went, uh, hey man, this is my first night. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I know it's your first night. That's exactly what I mean. You carry on. (laughs) Oh, it was awful. I just cringe at the thought of it. But it starts at the top. And the problem I had with that site is I was in there, this complete stranger, trying to create a culture where they were behaving differently. But the senior leadership of that site, they weren't there. They weren't interested in what I was trying to do. So it worked by the end of the four days. But as soon as I walked away, the culture just went back to what it was like before. Yeah. Okay so what steps can be taken to define and articulate the desired culture in an organization then so where my example there failed yeah. how how can we change that
1: Yeah I, th- I think that um there's there's multiple ways of doing it and sometimes you have to start I mean if you've got a senior leadership that wants to do it top down that's brilliant you know I think that's one approach that doesn't always happen we know that so what you know another way that I've seen work really well is to create it organically and prove through results and prove through actually the ways of working that it can work. So I, I you know I don't think there's a one size fits all. What is important is that whatever level that you're working at, there is clear direction of where you want to go, what it is you're trying to achieve. There's clear purpose for why you exist and what your, you know, what your team, what your organization, what your business, whatever level it is, you know, what you actually, why you're there. And it's really, really important that you set out what, you know, what the values of the organisation or the team are in terms of what is expected behaviour. Because I think if you don't have those three things that are interlocked and aligned, then it's really hard for people to get behind something. And I think that the biggest way to create a swell of followership almost, because that's what we're talking about, aren't we? You know, like there is, Obviously, you've got your, your your leader, but actually, you know, a, lead, a lone leader on his own can't really do a great deal. The The most successful teams, organizations, whatever at whatever level I've seen is where they get followship and they get everybody wanting to be on the journey. I call it getting on the change bus. You know, if you've got a bus coming along and, yeah. um, you know, the, the whole premise of this is to get people on your bus and there's different ways of doing that. And it all requires an awful lot of effort and energy. You know, you need to be clear about where you're headed. And you need to understand, and I think this is where a lot of people don't put the the time and effort in, you need to understand what is different about where you're headed and what's going to change for people. The level of disruption that you cause people to what they personally value about the way it works today is the thing that will cause the resistance to surface, and you know, and actually, if you have a, a really good way of trying to understand that before you start, you, you can never stop resistance happening in people, but you can can be more prepared for it and deal with it as it comes. It's unnatural and it's unhealthy if you stop people trying to suppress resistance. I hear that all the while. People are say, "Oh, you know, we need to stop people having an opinion about this, or stop people actually resisting this change." Actually, uh, it's really, it's really unhealthy. What you want to do is try and preempt how people are going to feel by trying to understand standing in their shoes, really, we put our people goggles on, stand in their shoes, trying (laughs) to see it from their perspective, try and understand how it feels to be them, and then try to alleviate some of the fear that they will have around uh, what it's going to be like. But being honest and truthful is really, really important. Being as transparent as possible, communicating with people regularly. It can't be just a one-stop shop of here's an announcement of what's going to happen and why it's happening. If you can, uh, one of the biggest ways to overcome resistance to change is involvement. if you've got an opportunity to involve people that's one of the best ways possible to actually overcome resistance and try to get people on a you know on the journey because people will create the culture people will create it if they you know, can realign to where you want to go. They can understand the role that they're going to play in it. They can get the confidence by giving them the capability and the knowledge they need to be successful in, in you know, in a new space, in a new world, in something that's changing. You'll be able to recreate, uh, you know, the way of working and the and the values that, that, you know, that people respect and love.
0: It's the tale of the Pied Piper, isn't it? Yeah. Pied it Piper got the rats to follow him.
1: Exactly right, exactly right. I love the um, I love the mad dancing video and I know it's old hat now but I think it is so true you know you've got your lone nut as they call it to you know who's out there at the festival raving away on his own doing absolutely mad dancing <laughs> mad mad dancing and it's the the first follower is the is the person that has the hardest job is to go over and join him and then you start to see the crowd shift from sitting out pointing and laughing at it to actually going over and and joining in and then the people That are left
0: being part um, of it
1: start to become the people that are you know outside the norm rather than rather than inside it that that for me is probably you know one of the things that struck me the most about being involved in you know numerous different exercises where you know organisations and businesses are trying to kind of either recreate a culture or change a culture Um, you know certainly with continuous improvement it's one that the vast majority of people in a business absolutely love to be involved with because it is so engaging and so involving if you get it right mm. um, and, it, and it makes it, it does feel like my mini business you know it's it's up to us to to run this business if they're given real empowerment from leadership to to run it that you know it's absolutely brilliant and I've experienced with uh, teams going through it where leaders have really shifted their view of, you know, their teams during this period where, you know, they've gone from, I never forget a tale where um, the senior manager that I was working with would go into a, a, you know, a site and people would literally hide up because they didn't want to be the one who had to answer the questions around, you know, how's, how's things going or what's, you know, what's the biggest problems that are going on here or whatever people would just, Get out of the way because they think oh my god i'll get picked on and you know what if oh, i say awful. the wrong thing or whatever it's awful isn't it yeah. and it actually shifted that this senior manager said following um his team going through this organization a big organization as well um going through this he, he would visit this site around probably a couple of times a year and he said i walked in the door and because they'd started to have daily huddles where the team would talk about things that you know how are we doing today uh, are we set up for success today? How did we do yesterday? What are the things that we can improve? Here's our list of ideas of stuff that we think should be on our improvement log. and uh, so the team themselves really had a re- you know brilliant understanding of um, and a shared understanding of how they were performing. Senior guy rocks up on site and for the first time says he was literally dragged to the performance board, you know, come, come and join the performance board, come and join our dialogue that we're having as a team today, because, you know, this is the questions that you're normally asking, but we're talking about them. And he said, the changing culture was absolutely euphoric to see these people so engaged and so passionate about the work that they did, you know, and never seen it before. Well, that was the tipping point for him. He could actually see that this kind of way of working had happened and then immediately wanted to start rolling this out across his entire organization because he could see the benefit it was bringing not only to his his business and his customers, but also to his people agenda as well. 13-time Shingo Prize winner, Dr. Jeffrey Leiker and Toyota Kata author, Mike Rother have created the Improvement Kata and Coaching Kata online course. This inexpensive compact program is designed to transform your thinking and approach, making you a highly skilled learner and coach. Engage in deliberate practice to turbocharge your progress. You also get lifetime access to the materials, including all of the bonus interviews. Why pay up to 10 times the price elsewhere listening to some consultant when you can gain direct insights from the masters themselves? Skip the rest and go with the
0: best. Join us today and embark on your journey to excellence. Just click on the link below to start your journey. So in your view, then, what role does diversity and inclusion play in shaping and enhancing the culture within an organisation? Because we have such a, you know, in many companies, we have so many different generations and so many different backgrounds of of people. It can be quite a challenge.
1: Yeah, tough question. I, I think the more diverse you can get a team makeup, the more ideas, the more views that you get. Um, and it's about encouraging everybody to have a voice and to speak up or finding a way that people are comfortable in, you know, giving their opinions and, and playing their role in, you know, in team conversation and in the, you know, and in the team dynamic. Again, I think um, inclusivity is really important as well Is like where you're working with teams that have different, you know, different shift patterns or different different locations. It's finding a way. To get visibility to what the team is doing so that no matter when you're in, you know, what role you're playing, you can still see how the team is doing. You can see the input that everybody's making and you have opportunity to contribute. And I think that's really important. And I think leaders have a big role to play in making sure that they set the environment up for that so that so that everybody can take part
0: that inclusive piece is is so important now one of the things that i really try to do when when i go into organizations is i i try and create sort of rituals and traditions and celebrations of success of the team because i think we're very very good at you know jumping when something's going wrong and reacting to yeah. that but i don't yeah. think as we do a you know in general i'm very broad here but i don't think we do a very good job of celebrating success what best practices have you seen where people use things like celebrations and traditions, etc., to sort of foster that culture growth?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think some of the best ones I'd seen again, certainly part of the continuous improvement way of working is, and again, a, a, a lesson that we learned early days was allowing the team to develop their way. Uh, so where there are where there is opportunity for teams to have Involvement in doing something, you get far more buy-in. Um, and the the example that would stick with me forever was that there was a I was working with a bunch of senior leaders who wanted to basically develop a template for their sort of performance conversations to happen round, whether it be virtual, so they were using a, an Excel spreadsheet, whether it be physical in a in a building, they wanted to create a uh, almost like a four box model board that would have PQCD metrics on it um, and have a section for bugs and ideas. And actually, contrary to that, what actually worked was where people had the opportunity to create their own. So giving a team some boundaries around, here's some principal headline things that need to be included on your team huddle board, but you can do whatever you want with it and you can use it in every way, which way you want. And the old question I used to get asked all the while is, oh, this team, this team are not doing it every day. They're only doing it every other day. Or this team do this at three o'clock in the afternoon. Surely we should do this at at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever. But actually, it has to be about what works for the team. So if there's a shift change at three o'clock in the afternoon, it's absolutely spot on that that team discuss performance from 10 to 10 past where the two teams can come together and do a shift handover. That works for them and that adds value to their day. So you should allow them to do that. If another team wants to do breakfast rounds every day and bring their breakfast, well, you know, that's brilliant. Why not? Allow them to do that as long as the principles are happening of, you know, we're discussing how did we do yesterday? Are we set up to success today? If not, why not? And what do we need to do about it? And right here, right now, can we help each other? to fill any of those gaps so that we can be more successful. You know, that's the kind of important thing, not what it looks like or, you know, how it, you know, comes across um, in terms of a fixed agenda. And what we saw in allowing this creativity to come to the fore is that people's personality started to come out and these things around beliefs and and celebrations and local celebrations started to come out. And we had superhero boards. You know, there were teams that absolutely loved, you know, the whole superhero ethos. Why not have it, you know, painted out with different characters? Another t- um, I remember explicitly, had a really great guy who was like a graffiti artist. And he did some amazing caricatures of people all around this board. We saw the most amazing boards. And you know what? People were so more connected to the content and the business content of it because they've been part of developing it. And, you know, the, the, the lesson for me was was quite stark. There was a group in the early days of before we kind of had this light bulb moment that we need to allow people to, <laughs> to develop their own. And, you know, that's absolutely brilliant. And we get way more buying. You don't learn these things from day one, do you? But about four weeks into the the initial pilot of this, I got a telephone call to say, you need to go and help because there's, you know, anarchy in the site because they, they will, they're refusing. They're refusing to stand around the board because it's a management board. And basically, I thought, oh, what's going on? So when went and spent the day there, went and had a look at what was going on. And actually, we just ripped the we, we ripped the board off down off the wall and we started from scratch and involved the team in creating it. And they were off on, you know, flying. So actually, you know, it just it just goes to show that by giving people a bit of Free flow creativity yeah. and their opportunity to put their own stamp on it and bring the things that are important to them to the board. You know, if you want to celebrate, some teams love it. They have birthdays up on the board. Some people have special family occasions and all sorts of stuff. And it's, you know, I, I just would recommend get as creative as you want to be. Do what works for you. And if you find something, the most frustrating thing I find that is that people then don't share the success. You only know the best way until you find a better way. And sometimes that better way is found, you know, every single day. But what we don't do is we don't then share it with others. So the most important thing is do what works, find things that work and experiment, fail fast if it doesn't work, don't stick with something that doesn't work, change it again. But where you find success, share it with others and let them let them have a go at what you're finding is successful because they then might find, you know, the next better way.
0: Yeah, exactly. At some point, I always use the uh, horse and cart analogy. You know, at some point, someone went from using a horse and cart to going, we could create a car to get us there. Yeah. And then at some point, someone's gone, rather than use a boat, we could create a plane. And they invented an airplane that flies. Yeah. Each of those solutions was the best solution at the time. That's right. But it's moved on, hasn't it?
1: That's right.
0: I really like that as well, because you're asking the the leadership to create the principles that you want people to work to.
1: That's absolutely spot on. And then you
0: tell the people, these are our principles, run with it. You say
1: it so well. That's right. Yeah. Crack on, you know, get creative. And, And it's the same analogy with my own team, like working with my own team over the years. Some people would say, you know, we'd be doing external events or training courses where we'd have huge numbers of people through the door coming for sometimes up to a week's training and what have you. And, you know, you'd get people in the team saying, what do we wear? What's the uniform? What do we wear? Do we wear um, do we just get in our jeans and, you know, is this casual week or should we, we, we wear suits and ties or, you know, maybe we have a team sweatshirt that says trainer on it or whatever. You know, so we had a we kind of had this like debate going on around what do we wear? And I was like, oh, my God, I never really thought about this. And then if you look at our brand of, you know, what, who we were and, you know, what did we do? Our training had become quite unique in terms of it was very gamified. We did lots of simulation games and videos and it was, you know, quite upbeat and people were loving the, the look and feel of it. And we came up with this slogan. So rather than me tell you what to wear, all we simply said was everything that we do should be sharp and sleek with a funky streak. And That's brilliant. what that meant is, is that you know, whatever you do, do it well yeah. um, and put your and put your mark on it. If you want to do something funky and fun, and you want to bring your personality to something, but you do it in your own way. And then this is around again being really inclusive and you know thinking about different personalities because not everybody's the same. And I, I never forget, like one of I have had a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant team when I was at BT and I had you know, in a in a change practice perspective, I had lean gurus, six sigma gurus, which I will never be at the level that they were. They were absolutely brilliant, but they all have a different personality type. We were a team which had a huge different range of personalities: introverts, extroverts. Uh, at one point, somebody once said to me one of your guys, he just needs to be more like you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, Um, you know, he doesn't need to be more like me, because if he came out and was like me, he would just just be stupid. Because, you know, I have my own personality and my own energy, but that just goes with me. I can't do what he does. He's an Mm. amazing, analytical, detailed, professional, Six Sigma expert. And I will never be him and he will never be me. But we do things in our own way. But we can both be sharp and sleek with our funky streak. I and, love you know, that. It just And it just worked. And it's like talking about culture. It was then one of my team was interviewed once around this whole sharp and sleek with a funky streak. And he said, actually, you know what? It doesn't tell me what to write or what to wear. It makes me want to get out of bed in the morning and come to work. And I think, boom, That that that's
0: what you want, isn't that's it? That's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, that's what you want. We're not lemmings. We're human beings. You know, yeah. we're not all the same. We we need to be different. I know on the subject of what to wear. Um, a lot of organisations now have kind of ditched the traditional business attire and yeah. they, they allow you to wear, you know, your own style of clothes. Yeah. But they will set parameters. So they'll say, you know, no ripped jeans, no, you know, ridiculously revealing clothing. But within reason, you can wear your own clothes. Yeah. And that allows people to feel comfortable in, their, in themselves, yeah. in their own skin. Yeah. It allows them to express themselves. It creates that culture and that diversity. I think it's such a great way to go. It's such a modern way of yeah. – you know, I mean, I can't remember the last time I wear a suit. In yeah. fact, I don't even think I'd get my suits on now. I don't think they fit me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when I wear a suit, i look like a schoolboy. I'd need a school badge on
1: yeah.
0: there. So, <laughs> I've worked in that kind of culture for so long now that I'd find it really odd. When I was at Royal Mail, we used to wear suits all the time. Yeah. That was the last time I wore suits. so yeah. I you know now I, I wear casual clothing. I, you know I rock up to a building in a in a hoodie. Yes, yeah.
1: yeah, very very it's changed an awful lot, hasn't
0: it? It has, yeah, completely. So you spoke about the, uh, the boards and you've spoken about sharing success. But are there any other tools and uh, methods that you would suggest that people can use to assess the progress and effectiveness of the culture development within their organisation? How can they see if it's really working?
1: You need to go out and get out on your feet and go and see and meet and talk to people. I think that's the biggest tool that you've got is conversation actually engaging with people and genuinely I mean it has to be done genuinely but genuinely talking to people about you know how it feels to work here and uh, what are the things that you would like to see improved if you were king I always talk about being king or queen for a day if you were king or queen for a day what would you do how would you do it what were what the things that would make working here even better because I think that having that conversation gives you such an insight into how people feel and you know what they what they really think
0: Um, And I guess that, you know, the final question on this that I think is, is quite a prudent one is, is how can the culture be sustained and evolved over time, but meet the changing needs and goals of an organization? Because, you know, things come along. COVID's a great example. Yeah. You know, organizations would have had a particular way of doing things. Yeah. Then COVID come along and probably turned everything completely upside down. How do you adapt and overcome and keep that culture going? I guess what you just said, actually, about speaking to people is a key part of that.
1: So I think in terms of creating a culture that's sustainable, your metrics give you an an awful lot of good indication. And, and I think it's about having that balanced scorecard. So, you know, not just focusing on productivity or not just focusing on customer experience alone, but actually looking at it in the round. If you've got a, a balanced set of metrics that cover not only the cost kind of of your business, the, the quality outcomes of your business, the customer outcomes of your business, but also a good people metric of your business, that should give you an ongoing good insight into how um, how you're performing and, and how people are actually feeling about, about the work that they're doing.
0: Yeah, they, then it's not something on top of the day job is it it's part of what you do
1: yeah it becomes the way that you work and ingrained and embedded in what you do rather than something different because a program we all know when you actually affect change and you know and if you really know when it's become cultural is that your program can stop I call it the tipping point in in when I do CI deployments it's like when can the coach of the team who's the expert in CI start to walk away when can they not be around that day and the team still stand up and have the huddle board? because they are now so getting so much value out of having a team conversation on a daily basis that they'll do it if the, the team or, um, coach or the manager isn't there. They actually start to take over and becomes embedded in the way that they just work rather than something over and above an extra um, and needs a programme manager. That's when you know that it's not really working and it's not really sustaining.
0: That is the jackpot. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. Talking of bingo, should we play a game?
1: Let's play a game. I love it.
0: We're going to play the yes-no game.
1: All right.
0: So basically, you cannot say yes or no, even though it's called the yes-no game. And I'm going to fire you questions. I've got three cards in front of me. Card number one, card number two, and card number three. Each of them have a different subject matter. Right. And I will ask you questions related to that subject matter. And you just can't answer yes or no.
1: How exciting.
0: (laughs) So which word do you fancy? Number one, number two, or number three? Let's
1: go for number two.
0: Number two, you have chosen celebrities. Oh,
1: no. You, yeah. are a, you are a celebrity.
0: I'm not a celebrity. My name is not Rylan.
1: You're a soundy-likey.
0: I should, yeah, I could, maybe I could get a job as a sound alike. Do they exist? Yes,
1: they must do.
0: I should send it into Radio 2 and say, look, if he's ever off sick,
1: Wow, exactly.
0: He must want to go on holiday occasionally. Yeah, no one will ever know. Yeah. No. <laughs> Especially when he does the call with his mum. That would be interesting. He does the feature brings oh, his mum. And I'll pretend to it. do that. <laughs> right, let's have a punt at this then. So your chosen questions are celebrities. And you've got to try and last 60 seconds without using the oh. word yes or no. Okay? Yeah. If you hear the gong, that means you said yes or no or a variance of yes and no. So you've got to be right, careful. Okay. You can't nod or go, mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, let's do this. Right, 60 seconds, ready and loaded. Karen, do not say yes or no. Is Brad Pitt primarily known for his acting career? He could be. Did Madonna gain fame as a pop singer in the 1980s or the 1940s? The 1940s. You sure?
1: Rubbish. The 1980s. (laughs) That's
0: very clever. Um, Are Beyonce and Jay-Z married to each other?
1: Absolutely.
0: Are they married or engaged? Married. You sure?
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Has Taylor Swift released a popular song called Shake It Off?
1: Seriously,
0: absolutely. Yeah, Cameron, you <laughs> did it! You lasted 60 seconds. I to say,
1: seriously, absolutely not.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's not bad. But, you know, get that on your CV now.
1: I thought you'd have me for saying not.
0: Not. Well, mm, no, not okay.
1: That would have been in your rule book of variants, I reckon.
0: <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant Well done though That's two in a row now Because Dr. Alla Garad In the last episode
1: Yeah but Dr. Aller Is really clever
0: Well so are you You did it You lasted You got How many questions Did you have Five or six I think you did really well, well I didn't even get yeah, on To Tom Hanks Oh, I love Tom Hanks. He's brilliant. Karen, what is going on in your world then? What's happening? Because there's loads going on in the BQF at the moment, isn't there?
1: Oh, BQF. Yeah, since leaving BT, I mean, uh, that that chapter of my life had just exploded. That was totally unexpected. You know, my BQF role to start with, you know, being asked to become president when I left BT was um, a little bit of a shock to the system huge amount of reimagination of of bqf especially since covid because tough times especially for a member organization not for profit it's been quite tough but really really enjoyable and yeah it it continues today in a you know obviously it's in a non-exec capacity there so that's something i do over and above my my day job but uh, the biggest thing that we have coming up is the uk excellence awards so there's so much work going in to that at the moment don't underestimate the amount of effort that that takes to manage that process because probably what a lot of people don't realize is that we don't actually hire in any help and support to to run the awards that is done over and above the day job of the of the the team and that's just you know like bqf is three part-time people plus me close to 200 Um, entries this year, which is just beyond ever, you know, what we've had before from so many differing organisations, which has just been amazing. We've actually seen, or we will have seen by the end of June, I think, near enough 160 teams going through. So thanks to so many juries that are giving up their time and expertise for free because we couldn't do it without them. Uh, but actually just running and the logistics of running all of that is, is a, is an enormous task. Then preparing all of the, the narrative for the evening and the whole shebang, um, for the 5th of October takes a huge amount of effort and work from, from everybody involved. So, but it's dead exciting because it's all about celebrating and recognizing brilliant, brilliant people doing some of the most incredible things. And I love it. I love being part of BQF, that the whole community aspect of that is just so rewarding to see. And you know, I talk about it, Matt, on many occasions, but nobody owns BQF. It's a member-owned organisation and uh, that's what I love about it. For me personally in my career, it, you know, it gave me such a phenomenal network of people that I now know and um, we're just simply custodians of it at this moment in time. And I really feel quite passionately that um, we should treasure it. And that's our job and responsibility, especially as the board of directors, is to, you know, to pass it on when the time is right to the next, you know, group of professionals in excellence that can do whatever they want with it. But um, but actually, it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that that it remains value-add and it remains what people want from the community of interest that are involved in it.
0: It is a wonderful organisation. and Everyone's so friendly and willing to help each other as well, which is what I really love. Yeah. Now, I, I've been a um, a juror on some yes. of the uh, the awards this year, which has been so exciting. And what struck me is the quality of the entries Yeah. and the amount of time and effort people have taken to create the entries as well. Yeah. They're all so creative and there's so many people. You don't just get one person come yeah. on and present. Here. you get brilliant, groups of people yeah it's amazing
1: uh, it's brilliant and i think for me what what i've been really proud of this year as well is that there's people saying that actually the whole process of entering and the quality of the process of seeing the jury panels is is as important to them as actually you know winning a, a an award so that you know really really resonates with me is that you know we're about learning and sharing and Absolutely, at the end of the day, celebrating and recognizing finalists and winners, but actually, people having the confidence to throw their hat in the ring and say, "You know, I'd like to do this." We've even had organisations who are saying, "We're not ready yet, but um, we know that we're not mature in the piece of work that we're entering, but we hope that doing this would help us learn."
0: What's really good as well with the BQF is behind the awards and and behind the you know, the general training and education that you provide to people, yeah. with the qualifications that you get. That people can pick up. There's this support network and the, and this whole network of networking events yeah. and dialing calls where you can meet people, guest speakers. There's yeah. so much behind it where yeah. people can get a wealth yeah. of information, regardless of where you are on your journey. Yes. there's opportunities to learn and, and
1: something for everybody. Isn't it there? is.
0: It's wonderful, yeah. and, and as you say, everyone gives up this time for free. And sort of offers their their little piece and i think it's wonderful and yeah you know I've, I've been a member this year and it's been amazing for me i've been to some of your your events where we've got groups of people yeah. together i've learned so i've got a notepad full of notes from inspiring people yeah. that have, have told me how they're doing great things in their organizations it's it is absolutely wonderful where can people go if they want to learn more about the bqf
1: Our website. So if you go onto the BQF website, loads of information there and contact numbers to call us. It's a very very personal organisation. You know there is only three staff, so somebody will contact you. You know it's not a it's not a faceless organisation.
0: There's a link down in the description below, and it's www.bqf.org.uk is where you can learn more. and I mentioned before that um, we're going to be doing a special episode of the Everceline podcast from the awards on the 5th yes. of October.
1: Exciting. I
0: can't wait. Stuff.
1: I know. It'll be the first
0: time we've done an external broadcast. Fabulous. So it's going to be challenging, but we will record interviews with the participants at the awards, with the winners. We'll hear from them firsthand about their experiences yes. and what they've been doing. We're going to try and capture the atmosphere and the feel of the event, which I think, I think will just be... Yes, just tingling all over thinking about it. It's going to be amazing. And that will be a special episode that comes out in October. Well, thank you so much, Karen. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. And um, I think your insights have been amazing.
1: You're welcome. Fabulous. Thank you for having me and really enjoyed it.
0: Some key takeaways then from today's discussion with Karen. Absolutely loved it. Surround yourself with people that challenge you. It's so true. You need people that make you think differently. That's how you can learn and develop. Really like that point right at the beginning from Karen. Really, really good. Love what you do. Enjoy it. When that happens, you deliver results. Create a clear direction where you want to go. What is it that you're trying to achieve And really identify a clear purpose of why the role people perform within your organisation is important. It goes a long way to helping create that culture. Set out the value of your team or organisation in terms of expected behaviour. These really help people get behind the culture if they really understand what it is that you're asking them to do. Karen made a really good point. A lone leader can't do a great deal on their own. The most successful teams and organisations tend to have fellowship and buy-in across all levels. That doesn't happen on its own. You need to work at that. That's creating the culture. Understand what is different about where you are headed versus the current state. Causing disruption in what people personally value is what causes resistance. So really understand what it is that you're trying to change and share that knowledge with the team so that they understand in turn as well. You'll never stop resistance forming, but following these steps, you can be more prepared when it comes. Be transparent, communicate regularly. If you can, set a cadence so people know when to expect updates, when to expect information and changes that's going on. Involvement where possible helps to reduce the resistance. If there's opportunity to involve people, get them involved. It's a worthwhile investment because if people are part of the problem and the solution, they will own it going forward. People will create the culture when they understand where they're going, why they are going there, can understand it and then can realign to it. And finally, great advice from Karen. Give them the confidence and knowledge they need to be successful. Simple as that, eh? Really, really easy. (laughs) No, it's not. A culture is an onward piece of work. It's not going to happen overnight. You've got to keep working in it. The ups and downs, but it's all about communication and respect for people as so much of continuous improvement is. That brings us to an end of this episode of the EverSaleen podcast. Thanks so much to Karen for joining us today and sharing her wonderful insights into her career and how she's sort of created cultures and and sustained them. She's given some wonderful tips that hopefully you can take away and you can use to your advantage to help you within your organisations in creating and sustaining cultures. Now, remember that developing a culture is an ongoing process and it requires consistent effort, collaboration and adaptability. It doesn't come overnight. So don't set yourself up for a fall. Just know that this is going to take some time, but you will get there. If you like the sound of today's show and would like to hear more, please subscribe and follow the Eversalene podcast at Eversalene.com. We'll also find episodes that you may have missed. Now, if you can, please take a moment to like and review the EverCeline podcast on the platform that you listen on. I'll be extremely grateful and your review means so much and I really do appreciate every single one. Now, if you're on the socials, search for the EverCeline podcast, give us a like and a follow and tell me all about your lean efforts because I'd love to hear them. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget, EverCeline, you know it makes sense. The Eversaline podcast is researched, produced, and recorded by Matt Sims. Visit eversaline.com to find out more.